This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Are you happy to be in church? Good, me too. Whoa, it's dark out there. Wow. Well, Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, boy, that's it. Uh, life's moving on. And uh, I, I have a couple things to say right up front. And the first is, uh, you know, the last time we were together, many of us was at our rockin' Christmas service. And uh, was that fun or was that fun? That was way fun. I have a couple things to say about that. Number one, for all of you who worked on those services and took part in them, thank you. That was ow. That's right. That was hours and hours and hours of volunteer work that went into that. Um, just some fun facts and figures. Uh, just under 800 people came to those two services. So that was a great thing. And between the two of those services, 71 people either chose to become Christians or rededicated their lives. That is awesome. That's the best part of the whole deal right there. So now you can pray for the staff and me as we follow up with all 71 of those to make sure that wasn't just a fun sort of pre-Christmas thing, but that it becomes a life-changing experience for them over the long haul of their lives. If you would uh, take your programs and uh, pull out of your programs a couple of things uh, that will really uh, help uh, you this morning. Uh, if you want to pull out the, the notes and get ready to fill in the blanks. Are you ready to learn? I hope you are. In fact, I want to tell you something. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning is between the Christmas series and the We Fit series that we're going to be jumping into next week. And um, my task was, if I had one Sunday to say anything to you, what would it be? And what I'm going to share with you is, is something that God has revealed to me in the last few months and I've only been living in, in this understanding for the last few months, and it's made a huge difference in my life. And I'm so excited to be able to share it with you, because I think you're going to find it really helpful as you lay out the plans for the coming year, and hopefully for the rest of your life. So that's what the, the teaching notes are about. The other thing that, you, that would be good for you to pull out is this thing that says, start here. We commonly call it the Our Connect card because that's what it says on the back side. And um, as a church, boy, our job is to help you connect with God. And we love doing that. And that's a great privilege and a responsibility. But in order to help you get connected with God, uh, it really helps if we could get connected with you. So if you would trust us right now, if you just put your contact information on the front of that, if you come here all the time, you can just put your name down there if we already have your contact info. But if, if you're relatively new to New Life and, and we don't have your contact information, if you would trust us with that, we can get started uh, helping you get connected with God. We're not going to give that information to anybody else, and we're not going to send you stuff that you wouldn't find useful and that wouldn't be helpful for you. Uh, but we will send you some great resources that will help you in your spiritual journey of getting connected with God. You can set that aside for a few minutes, and at the end of the service, we'll collect those. Now, what am I going to talk to you about this morning? Well, this is a church that's on a quest for life. 
which we should be. We want to take hold of the life Christ has for us. And uh, what I'm going to teach you today is in the greater context of this two-year project we're on as a church called the Take Hold Initiative, which is taking hold of the life Christ has for us. And it is very clear in Scripture that, that God has a life for us and He wants us to be able to reach out and take hold of it. Take a look at what Jesus said here in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it how? To the full. So right away you know that Jesus didn't come, by the way, that's, that's what we just celebrated in the birth of Christ. Jesus didn't come so you could have part of the life He has for you. He came so you could have all of the life that He has for you. And so Paul would write to his good friend Timothy and say, Timothy, I want you to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. I don't have time to get into all the theology of it, but let me just tell you this. You don't have to die to start living your eternal life. You get, you get to jump in and get a head start on that. The entire Christian life is actually like an appetizer to the real meal. And so God wants to give you sort of a pre-taste of what's coming. And so He's designed the Christian life to be sort of like a shadow or a type or um, a partial unveiling of heaven. And Paul said to Timothy, I don't want you just living an earthly life. I don't want you just to, to be running around doing things that everybody else is doing. But I, Timothy, I want you to actually take hold of this life that Christ has for you that you're going to get to live out in its fullness in eternity. I want you to take hold of that start living it now. Does that sound good? It should. That's great. That's the whole idea. So as a church, that's what we continually work on. And as a pastor, that's what I continually teach about is so that you could reach out and take hold of this life Christ has for you. But if you don't know who you are, it's sort of difficult to live the life you're supposed to be living, wouldn't you say? Sure. In fact, that, that brings up a serious question. And it's the question that we're going to work on this morning from various different angles. And the question is this. What if the life that I was created to live is actually different from the life that I'm now living? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What if the life I'm living is not actually the life God made me for? We're all probably somewhat familiar with the story of a young lady by the name of J.C. Dugard. And you may have forgotten her name, but she was the, she was the 11-year-old girl who was kidnapped from South Lake Tahoe and was taken to the East Bay and, and forced to live 18 years in the backyard of, of a guy and his wife and they abused her, and and so forth. Uh, it 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 it's a sad, sad, sad story. But I was thinking about that the other day, and I thought, of all the people that I'm familiar with in my lifetime, she, above all the others, was forced to live a life that was not hers, that she was actually never intended to live. And we look at that, and we think. How terrible, how sad that she would be forced to live a life that she was never intended to live. But I have a question for you. Is it any less sad 
if you and I choose to live a life we were never intended to live. She had an interview with Diane Sawyer, and then she has written a book appropriately called A Stolen Life. And I just want to read you some quotes from her interview with Diane Sawyer, and I think you'll see how they tie into identity. She said, I hope my kids grow up with a greater sense of self than I had. She said, my compliance for 18 years was not the best approach. It did allow me to survive, but it also meant I gave my power to my abductor. Without getting overly dramatic, I want you to understand that in the great struggle between right and wrong, in the great struggle between Jesus and Satan, Satan would love to have you live a life you were never meant to live. He would love to steal your identity and force you to live a life that you were never meant to live. And what is even sadder is he would love to convince you that that's actually your life. which is exactly what J.C.'s captors did. Here's what she said. He took away my identity, so I didn't feel I had any value. My lack of self-esteem showed in that I never asked for help. I never thought anyone would help. Now as I read through her story, I discovered something I didn't know. The guy who abducted her was on probation. And parole officers regularly came to that home and she saw them. And they saw her. And she never asked for help. I wonder how many of us go through life living a life that God never designed for us And we have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get on board with the life that Christ has for us. And we just never ask for help. Listen, last quote. I could never shake the feeling that one day someone would say, Hey, aren't you that missing girl? But no one ever did. I sat in my office and I thought, she was missing. And you know, if you're not living the life that Christ designed for you, you're actually missing. The real you isn't being lived. We're going to talk about how that, how that comes to be and what we can do about that. But to get us into that, it's important for us to know that there are actually three sectors to our, to our identity. And if you could think of them as, um, it's an old symbol, but a good one, and that is a three-legged stool. And if you got three legs, the stool will stand. If you got two, it doesn't stand, right? It's a three-legged, you got to have all three of these. So let's, let's break out what God actually designed into our identity. And the first one is this, and that is our role or what we do in this life. Now, God hardwired every single one of us at creation to be doers. 
You can see it in our children. When they're little bitty kids, do they want to help? Of course, yeah. And you know, they long for the day when they can do something themselves, all by themselves. And in fact, they like to get there all too early. And when they're trying to do something and they can't do it, and you go to help, they go, do myself. Because even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God made them to be doers. And friends, if you're on the wrong side of that scale, and you struggle with laziness and irresponsibility, you need to understand until you get that corrected, you will never live the life that you were created to live. You'll be missing a third of your life. You'll never step into the real identity God has for you, and, and, and you, will, you will go the, all of your life with identity confusion because you'll be missing a really important part of it. In fact, here's how the Bible says it. We are God's masterpiece. I want you to think of it as if God were uh, an engineer and He's designing a human machine. Each one of us is God's masterpiece. We're a human machine with all sorts of moving parts and all sorts of amazing things. But deep down inside, all of these body parts is an actual spirit and soul that's every bit as complicated as our bodies. We are God's masterpiece. And what did He create us to do? Here's what it says. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things Would you circle the word do? We are doers. So that we could do the good things he planned long ago for us to do. So an important part of our identity is what we do. It's our role as a husband. It's our role as a father or or as a wife or as a mother. It's our role at work. It's our role in the community. These are all things that we do. And as we step into those roles and do them responsibly, we are investing in our identity because it's part of how God made us. Second part of our identity is our name. And our name signifies who we belong to. In other words, our tribe. Okay? My last name is Hunt. My wife's maiden name is Jameson. So our kids have some Hunt in them. They have some Jameson in them. And if you go back a generation, uh, they have some Word in them and some Hunt from that previous generation. And if you knew our three children, one of them is a Hunt, one of them is a Jameson, and one of them is a Word. That's They just tend to fall along those lines. Why? Because that's their name. That's who they belong to. That's their tribe. Now, even as I talk about that, I realize that some of you are looking at your family of origin and you're going, Phew. Could I trade? Okay. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. Because in a perfect world, you should be able to look at your father and with pride say, that's my dad. And if you're a young boy, you should be able to look at your dad and say, I want to grow up like him. And guys, can I tell you, when you put your name on your children, 
make sure it's a good name. Does that make sense to everybody? It's part of their identity. They're going to drag that name with them into their adult life, either for good or for bad. And if it's for good, it will give them a greater sense of identity. And if it's for bad, they'll have to work against the flow of that all of their life. Fathers, mothers, give your kids a good name. Because it's part of who they are. But I can tell you this, that one of the reasons that God made the church is so that whatever portion of your name that you, you didn't get to choose it, but you got it at birth and that you're dragging with you into your adult life, God says, actually, I have a name that's above that name and you're going to get to wear my name. And for many of us, that's where we need to find our prime sense of identity. And that is out of our eternal Father's identity. Here's how God says it. I have called you by name. You are, what's that next word? Ah, When he says, I've called you by name, actually what he's saying is, he's not calling me Ron. He's not calling you Bob or Bill or Chad. When he says, I've called you by name, he's saying, I've called you by my name. And that's what makes you mine. At the end, I'm going to give us all a chance to choose to become a Christian. Now, a smaller part of the word Christian is what? The word Christ. Jesus puts His name on us because He wants us to have a firm sense of our identity in Him. We are His. Now, what does this mean when God says, You are mine? He explains it. When you go through deep waters, I will what? Be with you. You're mine. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up in the flames. They won't consume you, for I am the Lord your God. You are what? Precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. It doesn't mean that life won't have any tough things, but don't be afraid. Why? Because remember who you belong to. It's part of your identity. God wants you to live in that reality. And and, and until you learn how to live in that reality and take hold of that truth and grasp it every day and get up out of your bed every morning and look in the mirror and say, there is a son or a daughter of God, that person belongs to him. And no matter what happens in this day, it's okay. He goes on to say, don't be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and west. And I will say, and friend, this is where you get to vote. Look what he says. I will say, bring all who, what's the next phrase? Claim me as their God. For I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Wow. You and I get to step into that reality and say, God, would you adopt me? I'm here. Would you take me into your family? I'm choosing to become one of yours today. That's the message of Christianity. It's not just our role in what we do in this life, but it's also who we belong to and the name that we wear. Huge part of our identity. 
And that was something God just began to reveal to me. I, I kind of knew that God gave His name to me, but it was very difficult for me to understand what it meant for me to walk in this life as the child of God and not just a valued employee in His kingdom. Big difference between those two. There's a third part of our identity which is even less often talked about than the first two. And that is our person. I struggled even to come up with a name for this. Our person. This is who we are. I want you to think about this for a minute. In terms of your name, are you the only person in the world that wears that name? Nope. All kinds of people. And when you become a Christian, you get to be one of several billion people who wear the name of Christ. That's awesome, isn't it? At the same time, it can make you feel a little inconspicuous. You're one of billions. When it comes to your role, are you the only father in the world? Nope. Are you the only mother in the world? Nope. Are, the, are you the only volunteer Christian in the world? Nope. Are you the only member of your community? No, there's nothing in your role or there's nothing in your name that makes you an individually unique person. But there's a whole side of you that is the part that separates you from everyone else on planet Earth. You are a unique combination that God put together. It's a combination of talent, a combination of preferences in this life, a combination of abilities, a combination of desires, of appetites, of aptitudes. I mean, there's all sorts of things that go into this. And you, my friend, are the only one on planet Earth that has that combination. And that is you. And the amazing thing is, when God launched this earth and He created Adam and Eve, well, that was pretty easy for them to understand because there was only one guy and one gal, right? Pretty easy to figure out you're different from everybody else on planet earth. But here's what God said, and I want to break it out for us a little bit. In Genesis chapter 1, He said, God created human beings in His own image In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. We know what that means. But then He said, Fill the earth and govern it. I want to talk to you for just a minute about that word govern. Because the word govern doesn't mean to put a whip in your hand and tell everybody what to do. Actually, if you look up that word in its original language, it means... It means to take dominion of through discovery. Some of us are old enough to remember when John Kennedy was the president of the United States and he challenged our nation with what great big challenge? To put a man where? On the moon. I remember some people thinking, I don't think God would like that. He put us down here. But you know, when you understand that word govern, 
What God was saying is, you need to find out how things work and then make them work well. That's what that's about. Now friends, before we can find out how the earth works, it would be a good idea for us to find out how we work. That's step number one. Let me give you an example. A guy challenged me a while back. He said, I want you to take a piece of paper and I want you to write down on that piece of paper six things that refresh you. And he said, right away, I'm going to tell you, these are not six things that relax you. That's a different list. And I was sort of confused at first because I didn't understand the difference between relaxation and refreshment. He said, when you write on this paper the things that refresh you, these are things that you do, but in the doing of them, instead of getting tired, you get energized. We climbed into bed the other night. It's Christmas night. And my wife turned to me and she said, I think this was the best Christmas ever. And as we started talking about what that meant, it was because over the days and weeks prior to Christmas, she had baked and she loves to bake. She had cooked, and she loves to cook. She had sewed, she loves to sew. And she had given things to people, and she loves to give to people. You know what all those things have in common? They are part of the unique combination that God made when he made her. Those are part of her person. And when you live I'm going to invent a word here. When you live in your personhood, life feels good. It's part of who you are. And by the way, when you don't live in your personhood, that person is missing, gone. You're not actually living the life that God created you to live. You live in somebody else's life. I don't know whose, but you're not living your own. You might as well be J.C. Dugard, because you're not living your life. So one of the best things that you can do is find out what makes you tick and then begin to walk in that identity. Now I want to make three observations about our identity and then we'll get to some application. The three observations are this. Number one, most of us look too much into our role for our identity. In fact, when we start feeling a little hollow and empty on the inside and we start fighting depression or discouragement a little bit, usually for most of us, now if you're lazy and irresponsible, this is not true, but for most of us, our solution is do more. Am I right? That's right. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to put myself in my work more or I'm going to parent longer or parent better and we work on behavior stuff. And we think that's the problem. The solution isn't always do more. For me, it wasn't do more. In fact, the more I did, the further I got away from the identity that God created me to live in, and the more empty and hollow I felt. 
If you keep pushing that button, and that's not the weakest point of your life, it just makes you feel weaker and weaker and weaker. And I remember one day praying to God and saying, God, I think my family, I think the church, and I think this world would actually be better off without me. You could just take me. I'm good. Now, when I prayed that prayer, you think I was actually taking hold of the life God had for me? I was missing it. I was living somebody else's life, but it was not the life God made for me. And I'm glad God didn't. Okay, I'd have been okay if he honored that prayer. But you know, I'm glad he let me live long enough to learn there's more to life than that. Way more to life than that. But the truth is, most of the people that I know spend way too much time trying to get their identity out of their role. In fact, psychologists tell us that most of us tend to view our identity through our sense of accomplishment and our roles in life. I don't want you to give up on that, but I do want you to make that only a third of who you are. God only wants that to be a third of who you are. Let's talk, a second observation is this. Most of us look too much to religious activity and conformity for our identity. Okay? This is another area of our behavior. This is where we go when we feel really guilty about things that we're doing and we think, oh my goodness, if I could just stop doing this or if I could just do more of this or, Pastor, would you please tell me, you know, what are the 27 commandments I'm supposed to keep? Because if I could just keep all 27, I'd feel better about myself. And I grew up in churches that that's how we got our sense of identity and so we multiplied the commandments. Because obviously the more commandments you keep, the more spiritual you are. And the more spiritual you are, the more you're living the life God has for you. Friends, that's just not a true equation. See, when we look to religious conformity or religious activity, that's not bad. God wants us to keep the commands that He gives because they're actually good for us. And God wants us to be involved in ministry because it's a very unselfish way for us to live. And it actually, when we do it in the right frame of mind, can become very life-giving for us. And it's supposed to be. But if we think that somehow we can, we can do volunteer work to a point we can check that off our list, and now we feel better about ourselves, friends, there's no life in that. Does that make sense to everybody? Anything you do that's of a checklist mentality will never feed your soul. Ever. I don't care what it is. Even coming to church. If you come to church just so you could check it off of your list, so you don't have to feel guilty about it the rest of the week, man, this is going to be an hour and ten minutes of drudgery for you. It just will be. Because nothing you do with a checklist mentality will ever feed your soul. So third observation. Most of us tend to indulge ourselves rather than invest in our personal identity. <clears throat> this is a great time to talk about retail therapy. You understand what I'm talking about? And, and, and I know sometimes guys tend to think that's women in malls. 
No, that's guys with tool catalogs too, all right? Or that's guys at the local car dealership or at the local truck dealership. Or it's guys at the four-wheel drive place jacking up their pickups. Or it's guys down at the gun shop. Okay, me at the golf store. However you break that out, all right? The deal is, when you're going to invest in your personal identity, you cannot do it by indulging yourself. What you have to figure out are the things that actually feed your soul. Let me tell you a a little story out of my own life, because this is when God really began to break some of this stuff out, and then as I'm living it out, I'm finding it more and more and more. But uh, about a month before Christmas, uh, I shared a little bit of this story with you where I took a half a day just to hang out with God, which is a very refreshing activity, by the way. Scary as all get out the first time you do it, because when you hang out with God, you feel just a tad naked in that setting. Do you understand what I mean? What are you going to hide from Him when you're just hanging out? Because He knows everything about you. But I can tell you, it is amazingly refreshing. And so I had this half a day to hang out with God. And uh, there are a number of things that refresh me. Uh, Hanging out with God refreshes me. Okay, Right underneath hanging out with God, golf refreshes me. I know for some of you can't believe that, but that's actually true. Golf for me, is when your computer is frozen and it won't work, you reach down and hit the reset button, and for whatever reason it sort of corrects itself and comes back up, and now everything works. Golf does that for me, okay? So golf is very refreshing for me. Um, being out in God's creation and seeing the beauty of scenery refreshes me. Taking pictures of the scenery refreshes me even more. And I could go ahead and complete that list. But I want to show you how it worked in my life. So I have this half a day to hang out with God. And I get in the car and I start driving. And I'm just going to drive to the coast. But it was a rainy, rainy, windy, stormy day. And I'm driving out Bodega Highway. And it says closed, flooded. So I ended up cutting up to Sebastopol and cutting out to the coast. And going down the shoreline highway. And I found several places just to pull off and pray for a while and look. And I was kicking myself I didn't have my camera. You know, I just went to hang out with God. I didn't go to take pictures. But as I hung out with God, I began to realize that part of what God wanted me to do was invest in the person He had made me. I wasn't there to pray about my wife or my kids. I wasn't there to solve a problem in the church. I wasn't even there to strategize about what God would have us as a church to do in 2013. I didn't have an agenda. I wasn't there to talk to God about anything in specific. specific, I was just there to hang out. And as I saw beautiful scene after beautiful scene, I was just going, oh man, I wish I had a camera. And then God said, you have a smartphone? Apparently it's smarter than its owner, right? So I know this sounds crazy. I was so excited. I got out of my car in the pouring rain and I'm standing out there beside the ocean in this beautiful place that I had just prayed and hung out with God. I pulled out my smartphone and I started snapping pictures and something happened on the inside of me. 
You know what it was? I was living the life God made me to live. I was just being me. With all of my heart, I want that for every one of you. And we live in a world that tends to make us cookie cutters and tends to try to predetermine our values and what we should do in order to be cool. And can I just encourage all of us, set that aside and find out what role you're supposed to be playing in life. Play that role. Find out what name you're supposed to have and get that taken care of. And then find out the person that's on the inside that God made you to be. And in 2013, start living in that reality. We're going to help you as a church. We're going to talk about we fit, and we're going to we're going to expand this in, in some in some various areas, and we're going to walk through a lot of things in 2013 as a church. But all of them are rooted in this one concept, and that is that you could actually reach out and take hold of the life Christ has for you. I can tell you from personal experience, there's nothing like it. I came back so energized I could hardly sleep. It was a Saturday. I could hardly wait to get up here and talk the next day. Why? Because my soul was fully alive. I was living out what Jesus said. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. So how do we apply this? Here you go. Number one, you have to check your calendar. And I want to challenge you. I hope you plan your calendar out and you at least take a look at the coming year and say, I need to direct my life in certain ways. When you get your calendar out and you start planning out 2013, I'm going to give you some very practical ways to do it. But they all have their root in this principle. And that is, while they won't be equal in, qu- in quantity of time, each of these three must have a significant presence in your calendar. Okay? In other words, when you look at your calendar, you're going to see a lot of roles in there, a lot of responsibilities, but when you look in your calendar, do you have time set aside to just hang out with God and live in the reality that you belong to Him? You can't do that in five minutes a day. Okay, I'm going to give you a, a, some more practical ways here in a minute. But you need to know you need to have signif- that needs to have a significant presence in your calendar and needs to have a regular place in your calendar. So you've got to set aside blocks of time for that. And once you get started at this, those become the most precious blocks you have because you're going to love that. Significant and regular. So here are three ways. Number one, choosing to become part of God's family. Absolutely. You don't get started in this life that Christ has for you till you decide to become part of His family. And that's making the decision to become a Christian. And I pray that not one of us leaves here today without making that decision. Because if you do, if you don't make that decision, and until you make that decision, you will never live the life that Christ has for you. It's just not available to you until you make that decision. Number two, reserving four half days in the coming year to just hang out with God. That's one every three months. 
And I want to challenge you, don't cheat on that. Don't make that an hour and a half. Make it a full half day. And when you get to it, don't say, what am I going to do? I won't know what to do. Oh, that'll be a waste of time. Don't cheat on that. Honor that. If you need some help with that, you, you, you send me an email or come and talk to me. I'll help you with that. And then number three, reserving three off work times each month for activities that personally refresh me. Okay? If you work in the day, set aside an evening, at least three a month, where you're going to go do something that refreshes you. And make that part of who you are and your identity. Now, let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking into our lives. Thank you for caring about who we are. Thank you for caring about our role in this life. Thank you for caring about our name. And thank you for creating us to be individual expressions of who you are and giving us this beautiful combination. And Lord, would you make us wise so we could learn what actually refreshes and invigorates um, and energizes us. And would you give us the grace to build that into our life so that we can live the life you have for us, knowing that as we do that, first of all, it blesses you. It blesses us, and then we become a blessing to those around us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.